Aloha. I've been in Hawaii. It was raining there almost every day. I get back here, it rains almost every day here. I'm amazed what you can put in a suitcase nowadays. Anyway, it was an interesting time. <clears throat> Met a lot of people, went down to the beach one day. A couple of guys sitting there on the beach. I overheard them talking. One guy says, uh, how did you get to Hawaii? And the other guy said, well, he said, I had a business. Fire came through, wiped out the business. Rather than uh, rebuild, I, he said, I just took the insurance money and retired on it. And the guy goes, really? Well, that's the same thing that happened to me. He goes, I had a business. A flood came through, wiped my business out. I kept all the money. I retired on it. A few minutes went by, and I heard the one guy say to the other guy, how did you start a flood? Well, that's the point. A lot of times, things ain't always what they appear to be. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in them to the book of Genesis chapter 5. Genesis 5. Genesis 5 and Genesis 6 are very, very key in understanding end times. Now you say, well, why is that? Why would something, going clear back to the beginning of how we all got here, tie into what's going on today? Well, it's interesting. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, till they entered the ark and the destruction came upon the world. Well, what was the world like then? Is that all there is? Well, pretty much Jesus does the best commentary on the pre-world, or maybe I should say the pre-judgment of God flood of anyone in the entire Bible. Genesis 5 gives us a lot of insight of what this pre-flood world was like. And so we're going to look at it this morning. <clears throat> we start off in Genesis 5, and let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your honesty, your truth, that we can always believe what you say. Though there are many voices in the world, and most of the time they don't tell us the truth, we know we can come to your word and always receive your truth. And so we ask you now that we're not only when we read these words, but they would go into our heart, we would remember them and give us foundation for our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, chapter 5, a lot of people say, well, <clears throat> it's, it's full of a lot of genealogies and all the begats and all those things, and how is that even relevant? Well, actually, there's a lot here in those begats. So let's look at this together. The book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. First of all, you're not a cosmic accident. And this is what the problem with our society today that has turned against God, saying, well, really, you're just evolved sludge. Just take a microbe, lightning hits it a few billion years, and here you are. You are not special. You're a cosmic accident. That's what I have a lot against oh, the whole evolutionary idea. Evolution, friends, is not science. Don't ever let anybody tell you it's science. It is a religion. And in the old Seinfeld adage, a religion about nothing. In the beginning, there was nothing, and here we all are a billion years later. What's wrong with that? Well, first of all, apart from it being impossible... We have another big issue from 
that randomness never produces order. In other words, if a tornado hits a trailer park, and when the, tr- when the tornado is done, here are a bunch of brand new cars, beautifully built houses. I would say evolution has a possibility. But usually when a hurricane hits a trailer park, it's a total, totally gone. It's not there. Randomness does not produce order. You'll never find randomness ever producing order in any aspect of society, any aspect of science. Yet they take established facts, like the laws of thermodynamics. You say, well, what's that? Second law of thermodynamics. We'll have a science class here today. It's called the law of diminishing return. You go, what does that mean? You light a candle, you come back in an hour, the candle is not bigger, it is what? Smaller, okay? Things diminish with time. Evolution, though, says no, things get better with time. Now, if you found this to be the case, let me know what car wax you use, I'd like to try it out. Because generally what I find is my car deteriorates, my house deteriorates, my body deteriorates as time works its magic on it. Things that used to be up are now hanging down. (laughs) Have you noticed? They even make fun of it now on TV. You have uh, Captain Turkey Neck and this guy's got a real flopper down here. Things that were once up are now down. Things don't get better with time, they get worse. It is the second law of thermodynamics, the law of diminishing return. Now these are established laws that work in science and provable in the Bible. Yet they throw all established laws out when it comes to evolution because that is where the opposite happens. And I've shared this before. Global warming, we have global warming, global warming, global warming, global warming. That's all you hear about. It's the religion of the new age. Remember that. Because that is one of the key things they're going to use to unite the people of the earth is global warming. That's why they have to keep it going. That's why they have to keep it alive. Even though the rings on the sequoias and on the redwoods in California have down through the history of ages shown there are hot years, there are cool years, there are wet years, and there are dry years. They attribute anything today that happens to global warming. Uh, American scientists, uh, uh, publication that comes out had a totally ridiculous article. And it was expect more volcanoes because of global warming. When I read that, I just couldn't believe what I was reading. And what's really amazing when you read the article, when you finally get down to the bottom line, they don't quote any viable source. It's all made up. Well, you see, that's the idea. You say something long enough that's made up, what happens? It becomes believable. It becomes a fact. But the Bible says something different. It says that God created man and he made him in the likeness of God. Interestingly enough here, the word God here is not Yahweh. It is Elohim. Now you say, Mike, what difference does that make? Is there a lot of little different gods out there? Not at all. 
What we find here is in the names of God in the Bible, we get more of a glimpse of who God is. In other words, sometimes in the Bible, and especially when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, God related to them as Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. God reveals to us sometimes through his name what he will do for us. And I like that about God. God gives these glimpses of who he is so that we will know and be able to trust him. The word here is Elohim, and it speaks of the plurality of God. Not the singularity of God, but the plurality of God. El, God, Ohim, in the, in the, in the plural. Now you say, well, why is that important? Notice what it says. God created man, and he made him in the likeness of God. Isn't it amazing that you're a triune being as well. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you are a triune being. You are a body, you are a mind, and you are a spirit. Isn't that amazing? Have you, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, if you've ever been in love, there's probably not a better feeling in the world. Or if you've ever had your heart broken by a lover, there's nothing that hurts more in the world. I don't know if you ever felt that. It feels like a million ton fist that smacked you in the chest. See, we're a triune being. Somebody said something to you, the person you love has left your life or whatever. Is there anything wrong with your brain? No. Is there anything wrong with your body? No. But your spirit is crushed, you see. Now take an alcoholic, for instance. Is there anything really wrong with their brain? Well, initially, no. The more they drink, the more brain cells they fry. And some of these people don't start off with very many to begin with, so I suggest you stop drinking. But you'll ask an alcoholic, do you know your drinking is killing you? And they'll go, uh-huh. Do you want to stop? Uh-huh. Will you stop? Uh-uh. Why? Because their body wants it. That's what addiction is. That's what heroin addiction is or any drug addiction is. Opiates and all the problems that we have facing in our society today. You're a body, you're a mind, and you're in spirit. Now, now here's what's great. When all three work together, it's kind of neat. Your body comes under subjection of your mind, and your mind comes under subjection of the Holy Spirit. But here's a problem. If you're not born again, what is telling your mind what to do? This is why in in, the book of John, chapter 3, Nicodemus, a religious hierarchy leader, comes to Jesus by night and says and asks about heaven. And what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Well, must be born again? Yeah, something was wrong with the first one, okay? And this is what the Bible talks about. God said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat of the tree is the day you'll surely die. But when they ate of the tree, they didn't fall down dead in the garden. God comes to walk with man coolly. Hey, look, two corpses under the tree. That's weird. No, they were fine. They had hid themselves, sewed fig leaves together to hide their shame. 
And when God says, where are you? We're hiding. Why? Who told you you were naked? You see, the spirit died in man that day. Now, something greater than a physical death, something greater than an emotional death, is spiritual death. And that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. It is not an option. It is a requirement. Now you say, well, why is that all this important? God created you and me in his image. We're a triune being. When you're born again, your mind tells your body, or excuse me, your spirit tells your mind what to do, and your mind tells your body what to do. Until you're born again, it's backwards. And that's why people, when they become born again, enter into what I call the one-step program. You pass from death unto life. You realize that, hey, God, you need to tell my mind, my body, then what to do. We're a triune being. God's a triune being. And he created them male and female. Now, there's a lot of discussion about this today. What is a female? What's a male? And in America right now, we're we're bathroom challenged. We don't know which one to go into, do we? But the Bible says originally... There was male and female. And I've shared this many times. You find transgender people. If you happen to be one listening here today, my heart goes out to you. But I want to share something very scientific with you. You can chop. You can channel. You can do whatever you want to your body. But your DNA will always scream what you are. It doesn't matter how many parts you cut off. It doesn't matter how many parts you add. Your DNA still says what the Bible says. He created them male and female. Well, I don't like what I am. Did you ever think that maybe this could be a spiritual issue in your life? You see, if people today want to deny the spiritual aspect of life, yet the Satanists, yet the occultists all recognize the importance of spiritual things, But yet oftentimes, even today, the Christians don't. And it is sad that we have been so decoupled in our lifestyles, understanding what God's best for us is and what we think is best for ourselves. And so the Bible here says he made them male and female. Now notice this. He blessed them and he called them mankind in the day that they were created. God blessed them. He loved them. I like that. Do you realize something here today? God loves you. Do you realize how much God loves you? That God's design for you is the best for you. That you're not a cosmic accident. And because you're not an accident, God's purpose for you is exact. See, the problem is today, people say, well, our definition of society has now obsoleted what God's plan for humankind is. Not so, friends. You can go against the Bible all you want. The old saying goes, the Bible, the anvil, has worn out many hammers. Well, the problem is people can disregard what the Bible says, but the bottom line will always come back that God is right and we need to listen to what he has to say. And so he created them, he blessed them, he loved them. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image, and his name was Seth. Now, we remember before that, he had a couple of other sons. He had Cain and he had Abel. 
Now, as we start verse 1 of chapter 4, going back, it says that Adam knew his wife Eve and begot Cain. There are whacked out Bible teachers around the country today that say, well, Cain was the seed of Satan. And what happened in the garden was really not eating of the fruit of the tree, but Satan had sex with Eve and Cain was that evil seed. Well, pure, unadulterated heresy. The Bible clearly says Adam knew his wife Eve. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam knew his wife Eve and begot Cain. I don't know how much simpler God can say something and yet humans will mess it up. Isn't that always amazing to you? I mean, it is amazing to me. Something as simple, as straightforward as that, and they can't. And by the way, if you ever leave this church, if you're listening by radio somewhere, and you're going to a church that teaches that, get out. If you can't simply take what the Word of God says for its value, then they're not going to get anything else right. And if they can't get the first four books of the Bible right, they ain't going to do a good job on the rest of it. Why is that? When the spirit of error is working, it works all the way through. In the cults, you'll rarely ever find a cult that is just off in one area. They're off in many areas. They believe that undergarments will protect you from bad things that happen. And yet, they'll also tell you Satan and Jesus are brothers. And they'll also go into all kinds of other abnormal doctrine. Why? The spirit of error is working. You'll find that it's no longer faith in Jesus Christ and him alone that causes us to pass from death unto life. But now you've got to get out and knock on doors. You've got to believe that, that Jesus is Michael the archangel. And that you have to worship on Saturday. And they got all these ingredients and formulas and stuff. God blessed Adam and Eve. And you know what, the, how, one of the reasons, one of the ways God blessed them, it says he walked with man in the cool of the evening. He'd come and just visit with him. Hey, how was the day? See any new birds? Did you name anything new? You know, just fellowship with God. We lost that in the garden when man sinned. But Jesus Christ, the second Adam, restored that father-child relationship. Never let religion you don't get anything else out of this today, get this. Never let religion get between you and your relationship with your daddy in heaven. Because religion loves to. Well, you got to sell flowers in airports. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to jump through these hoops. You got to join our church. You got to give all your money. You got to have nine kids. You got to do this. You got to all these different things they have you do simply based upon taking away that simple relationship that God wants to have with us. Well, he tells us here, Seth was born. We remember God was looking for somebody to carry the promise that the Bible says, through your seed, speaking to Eve, the world would be blessed, that he would bruise Satan's head. Well, that's exactly what happened. But when Cain killed Abel, the first family didn't do so well, friends. First family, Cain kills Abel. 
And we find that that was not the end of humanity, but we find here in Genesis 5 that humanity went on. And there was a man named Seth that was to come along and descendants of Seth in Jesus as well. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he begot sons and daughters. People always ask, well, who did, who, who, who did Cain marry? Well, it says sons and daughters. Sons and daughters, and not only they were having kids, but all their kids were having kids. Now, again, I always use this illustration. I don't know if you've ever been to a family reunion. They're a strange thing if you've ever been to one of those. Because you see people that you didn't know were relatives. And I, I actually ask one time, I go, what are you doing here? And they go, well, I'm such and such, uh, uh, such and such was my granddad. And I go, oh, you're my third cousin. That's weird. Didn't even know. Now that's only over a period of maybe 20, 30 years, you'll run into people you don't know at a family reunion. Imagine the whole world. No, it's not hard for me to understand at all how Cain found a wife down the road. So he tells us here, so all the days of Adam, verse 5, lived were 930 years and he died. It's interesting, he probably had his house finally paid for. His car was paid off, paid off his visa bill, all those things. Amazing what you can do in 930 years. Well, the point is, is this. Man lived to be a long time. In fact, they tell us today, there's really no reason why all of us shouldn't live to be hundreds and hundreds of years old. But something happened to humankind and no longer do our cells reproduce as quickly as they should to, pre to prevent the aging process. So this is one of the things that God does. And the Bible says God limited the age of man because of wickedness. We're going to talk a little bit about that more as we move along here. So it says he lived 930 years. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. Now imagine moms and dads, dads, moms, waiting 105 years before you start having kids. I don't know if anybody here have noticed how children change your life. They change your nightlife. They change your sex life. They change everything. They break your stuff. I actually had somebody one time before I had kids. They came to me and I, they said something about, about uh, kids. And I said, well, I don't have any kids. And you know what they said to me? They looked at me and said, well, who breaks all your stuff? Because kids do that. You know, they put dents in refrigerators. When they drive their little cars, they go, whammo, not a big old dent there. Now, I look at that. There's two ways to look at dents in refrigerators and in your car. And um, My daughter, the, about, oh, just before we went to Hawaii, you know, you have this little screen on your TV for the backup camera. She takes a nail and drags it across the screen. And I looked at her. I go, why did you do that? I don't know. And that's their line for everything. I don't know. I am convinced that God gave us children so that we would understand how much God loves us in spite of all the nails on the screens that we do. I use this illustration a lot that God, because he loves us, Coming up with the Super Bowl here in a week or so, and I think we're having a party here or something. You can, you can come root for the Lakers. You can root for the Celtics. I don't care. 
You'll have a good time. I don't come for that anyway, but the Doritos are great. So you can come, and, and, and um, some people call it a Super Bowl party. I call it a get fat class, but whatever you want to do, you come. You'll enjoy it. Fellowship is great. I don't care who wins. I don't have a favorite. I think they're all way overpaid for what they do. I did, dirt road for Mike here, okay? A few years ago, they sat around, folded their hands, and say, we won't play ball unless I make $30 million a year. I'll do it for a million. I think most everybody would do it for a million a year. I'm not going to do it I make a million a year, or five million, or ten million a year. All of a sudden, sports turns into like Las Vegas or something. I don't know, where you're all gambling on who's going to win, and, and how much money everybody makes, and I don't know. I don't know about all that, but the Doritos are, will be good, I promise. The point is, is this. When we look at the depravity of man, and we look and see what we're like, and yet God chooses to love us. Now, I always use this. There's, there's seven seconds left in the game. The score is tied. The ball is sent to the to. Uh, he's just getting ready to throw the ball and he sees a guy in the end zone. He's in the clear and he's going, cool man, seven, whammo. And he throws the ball and he catches it in the end zone and the crowd goes, then he drops the ball. And I think about that. And, and, And friends, this is the way God is with us. Now, If the person who threw the ball to the guy in the end zone and he drops it, knew he was going to drop it, where would you then throw the ball? I would throw it into the audience. It doesn't matter. Just I know that at least somebody's going to catch it if I throw it to anyone but him. And yet, God knowing you and me, will drop the ball, he still throws the ball to us. That's love, friends. Why would God do that? Why would God throw us the plan of salvation to the world through you, through all of you as Christians, the world will be blessed. And yet we fall down, we're, we, 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 we don't do things right Why does God continue to throw us the ball knowing we're going to drop it? You know why? Because God's bigger than the things that we've done wrong. And how else could God ever show you how big he is when it ain't you, but it's him in you, the hope of glory? Big difference. We look at this and we see the genealogies here unfolding. We read on here and it says, Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. And He begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and begot sons and daughters. Imagine the amount of kids that you could have if you lived to be 800 years old. Amazing. You think about that and and you go, wow. And, And back then the earth was new. Our DNA wasn't polluted and broken down and all the things that go wrong with this. Imagine that. 
And after he begot Enos, Seth lived the 800 years. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Enos lived 90 years and begot Canaan. And after he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and begot sons and daughters. Now, this is where all this begats come from. This is when, you, again, you figure that all these people are having kids, all these things. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mathiel. Mathiel, Canaan, lived 840 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. And Mathiel lived 65 years and begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mathiel lived 830 years and begot sons and daughters. By the way, it shows me that God was very disciplined in giving us this record of exactness. I mean, right down to how long they lived. So all the days of Mahil were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Now, by the way, as we're going to read here, Methuselah is the man who lived the longest of any human being. And from what we gather here with all this, he died probably in the flood, interestingly enough. Notice it says, all the days of Jared were 962 years. He died. Enoch lived 65 years, begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Now notice this. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Before the flood, God started supernaturally transporting people. I like that. You know, it's interesting. You listen to people. Oh, there's no such thing as the rapture. That was a theory that came along in 1850. Really? Isn't it funny that Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, were social the coming of the Son of Man be? The days of Noah, Enoch walked with God and God snatched him away. Isn't it weird that before the great tribulation period. Those that walk with God will be taken away. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Bible tells us in Thessalonians and other places that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. We're going to be caught up to be with him in the air. There will ever be. It's interesting here, this being caught up, this word, um, and I think it's really important, he walked with God and was not, for God took him. The word took here can mean marriage. That's weird. If you look in the, uh, if you look in like a Hebrew lexicon, there's all kinds of things, little caveats that are in there that give you a little more insight of what's going on. But he walked with God and was taken. And so it says, Methuselah lived 180 years and begot Lemek. 
And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and begot a son and his name was Noah. Now this is the Noah that we know about. Forgive the pun. Saying this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because the ground which the Lord has cursed. And he begot Noah and Lamech lived the 595 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old and he begot Sham, Ham, and Japheth. And by the way, these three it's important because these three are the only ones, Noah and his three sons and their wives are the only ones that went from the world that was after the flood into the new world. Now here's why. The Bible tells us that sin increased on the earth. Now next week we're going to go into chapter 6. And this is a lot of discussion in this chapter uh, concerning who the sons of God were. And by the way, I don't know how many people know this. But uh, the sons of God, this phraseology, the sons of God saw the daughters of men were fair. Sons of God appears three times, absolutely referring to angels. But it appears twice as many times, six times, speaking that the sons of God were men. Positively, without a doubt. It's all the way through the, the, uh, the New Testament. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 12 it says to them gave he power to become the sons of God to as many as them that would believe on his name there is twice as many references to the sons of God referencing human beings than angels and you only find God referencing sons of God uh, to angels in only one book and that's the book of Job so who are these then sons of God don't know there's a lot of discussion on this but when we look at it, what it talks about, and we're just going to get a little bit of a preview here of what we're going to get into next week. The giants can also mean tyrants. Now, again, uh, you don't really get the word angelic being in any way, shape, or form from the word giants, which in the Hebrew is Nephtalim. The word Nephtalim does not have an angelic connotation to it in a Hebrew lexicon. It speaks of those being tyrants, being thugs, being bullies. Some people actually wonder if it wasn't speaking of organized crime more than being in stature of size, but rather that. Well, next week when we look at this, this is really important because this is exactly what Jesus Christ spoke of. In chapter 5, chapter 6, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. We're going to look at stark parallels between the world today and the world then, and how we know that we're at the time of God's intervention once again. The Bible tells us several key notes to look for in the last days for us today. The key of all of them is the nation of Israel. And even more so, the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem, Jesus said in Luke 21, and basically many people believe in the same, the same sermon 
that we find recorded for us in Matthew 24, that Jesus said Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. When Jesus said that, Jerusalem was under Roman control. Seemed like a ridiculous prophecy even then. But it got worse when a general named Titus, a Roman general, came in and leveled the city of Jerusalem because of the Jewish rebellion in 70 AD, and he burned the city, destroyed it, tore the, tore the buildings down, and it remained just a, a pile of ruins. Yet Jesus said Jerusalem is going to come back under Jewish control in the last days in Luke 21. Well, did it? Yeah. Jerusalem is now the capital of Israel, just as the Bible said it would be. It is under Jewish control, not under Arab control. The Arabs lost half the city in 1967. Israel got half the city in 1948. They got the other half of the city in 1967 in the Six-Day War. And Jerusalem came back under Jewish control. But still, Jerusalem was a disputed city. And it wasn't until last year that President Trump declared to the world that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Just exactly what Jesus said would happen. So how do we know then we're in a different time than any other time? How do we know that this isn't, well, as the Bible says, since our fathers fell asleep, all things remain as they are. The talk of Jesus' return, the talk of of getting right with God, the talk of of God's judgment. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before. My grandma, grandpa talked about it. Bye, 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 bye. How do we know? The Bible tells us. Jesus said, he said, hypocrites. He said, when you, you, you can discern the face of the sky, you know a storm is coming. How is it that you cannot discern the coming of the Son of Man? And this is one of the great problems that we're finding in the world today is that everybody knows something is wrong, but nobody wants to turn to God to find out what it is. So we think we're going to solve it by global warming. And by the way, as I began to share earlier, shared this a couple times before, but I think it's always a great argument. Global warming, global warming. Species are going extinct. Ah! No big deal. If you're an evolutionist, there's going to be a whole crop of new ones next year. You see, because evolution continues. See, things are getting better. It's not Devo. It's not the second law of thermodynamics, an established law. No, we make up this stuff and say, no, things are getting better. And who cares if species go extinct because evolution is continuing has to. There's never been a time that I've ever talked to an evolutionist that they ever said, an evolution stopped. Never happened. And where are the transitory life forms? Those short-term life forms that turned into something else, or the transitional life forms, those over a period of many years, where cats become dogs, dogs become rats, monkeys become humans, Where are the fossil records? There aren't any. So you have an established idea in your mind of evolution without the fossil records or, and here's what makes it even worse, living examples of transitory or transitional life forms. 
So where are the monkeys trading up? Remember there was a band in the 60s. They had a song. And um, no, I don't think that was the lyrics. They say we were monkeys. Well, the problem is, friends, never were. There is no transitional, transitory life forms in existence, dead or living. So what does that do? It absolutely makes evolution a religion. See, I like making fun of the world. I was just sharing with uh, some of the people at CSN this past week. I want to come out. You know, the world always makes fun of us as Christians. I don't know if you noticed that. I like to make fun of the world. I want to come out with a whole new radio program called American Bottom 40. Now, if you take some of the lyrics in the songs that have influenced all of us and our kids, wrote them down, gave them to a person, you would get 20 years in prison. I'm serious. This is what we've ingested. I, I think of the song by the police years ago. Remember that band? And they had a song called, I'll Be Watching You. Wherever you go, whatever you do, every move you make, I'll be watching you. It's the theme song of Stalkers Anonymous. If you wrote down everywhere you go, everything you do, I will be watching you. You wrote that, gave that to somebody, they took it to the police department, you will be in jail as a stalker. I'm serious. And, and when you look at this, and I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, the name of the police... Um, you know, maybe, maybe they're under surveillance. But then there's another part in the song that says, can't you see you were meant for me? I don't think the police report would read that way. You look at the different lyrics in the songs that have influenced all of us. You know, we have an endless supply of stuff to make fun of the world. I use the other illustration, the Beach Boys song. Just heard it a couple of months, a month ago. Christmas time comes this time each year. Yeah. I suppose for a surfer, that's a giant, mighty revelation. Christmas comes this time each year. Mm -hmm. Glad it doesn't show up mysteriously in July. And they think we're simple. I look at them and I go, they're idiots. But God loves idiots. And God loves those that he knows he's going to throw the ball to. They're still going to drop it and says, hey, I'm bigger than the drop ball in your life. I like that about God. This morning, if you never received Christ as your Savior, and you feel that God wouldn't have you in his kingdom because you've dropped the ball too many times, i got some great news for you. God loves you. And, 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 and he's bigger than what you've done wrong in your life. Only God can, you know, the religions of the world, you know, you go do these things and you get right with God and sell flowers in airports and all these things. I, I use that illustration a lot because it's kind of, the, kind of the identifying mark of cults. And you go, all these different things you do, and, and if you do this, you'll appease God, burn the incense. 
You know, let the rats come and eat the food. While the people outside all starved to death, but we're going to feed the rats. Because it might be reincarnated Uncle Fred, you know. And so, so they, they come and eat the... And, and, and you look at that, and they tell you how to get right with God. Join our church, recite our mantras, do our thing. But you know what? Christianity is different. You know why it is? Because not only does the Bible tell us how to get right with God through Jesus Christ, but the Bible has something all the other religions of the world don't have, and that's God's restoration in your life. You'll never read in these other religious things about once you come to God, how God straightens your life out. Because their God can't do that. But yours can. God can fix what's wrong with you. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ, you're doing it on your own. You, you really don't... Um, you really don't have that spirit telling your mind and then your mind telling your body what to do. You got it backwards. Your body does. And, and, and whatever your body wants, that's what your body gets. And, and you can't figure out why you're messed up. Uh, this morning, you got a great opportunity to turn it over to God and say, God, come in my life and help me. I'm not a cosmic accident. Lightning didn't hit a swamp. I was, as it says here, created. And if you're created by God, he made you for a reason. Have you spent five minutes this week trying to find out what it was? If you haven't, today's your day. The Bible says we pass from death unto life by simply praying and asking Christ to come into our lives. This morning, if you've never prayed and said, Lord, I'm sorry, I dropped the ball. I don't want to look around and say, well, everybody else is dropping the ball. Yeah. But that doesn't matter about them. It matters about you. And when you drop it in your life, you can drop it a lot of different ways. Your career, your family, your marriage, whatever it is. We're all ball droppers here. We just are. We just don't do it right. And that point where we would, you know, there was a movie years ago called Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know how many people saw that most unusual movie. The first time I watched it, I thought it was the dumbest movie I ever watched. The second time I watched it, I couldn't stop laughing. I'm going, what happened to me? I don't know. But one of the key things was a guy that in high school, he kept playing football and he wanted to go back into time to correct the mistake that he did wrong playing football. I don't know if you've ever seen it, and he would throw the ball, and he would get all the angle shots, and one time he even nailed the camera with the football, and all those kinds of things. But that's the way we spend most of our life. We spend it looking over our shoulder going, I wish you would have. I wish you would have done this. I wish you would have. We sound like a bro bunch of broken washing machines. Wish you would have, wish you would have, wish you would have, wish you would have. <laughs> and God says, today's your day. This morning, if you've never prayed, you've never asked Jesus into your life, you're tired of letting your, your body tell your whole being what to do. Today's the day where you can say, God, now you take over, and I want to live my life your way. Show me why you put me here on this earth. He will. It's time to pray. Are you ready? If you are, pray this in Jesus' name. Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I lived without you. I'm sorry I did it my way. 
And God, I'm not happy. There's an emptiness that's there, and I just ask you to forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood took away my sin. So from this day forward, come into my life and show me what to do. And Lord, as I live each day, I'll trust you for the very best. So I commit my life into your hands right now in Jesus' name. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I will be empowered to live for you each day and write my name in your book of life that I don't ever have to be scared of dying ever again. And Lord, for all the times that I didn't do it right, all the times I've dropped the ball, God, would you please heal me and restore me? As your Bible says, you will. And so I commit my life now in your hands, in Jesus' name, amen.